Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. I love Sundays and I love them because I love you. Amen. I don't know if I've said that lately, but I want you to know that I love day spring. Hey, when you walked in, you should have gotten a bulletin. If you didn't get one, would you raise your hand? Will you raise your hand? The ushers are going to bring one to you. If you have one, would you open it and uh, would you stand with me? We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1.10. We are in a series on unity and this passage is our series passage. Look at what Paul writes. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the authority, right, behind this appeal. That what? Some of you. That the members, that the older folks, that those that vote one way, that all of you agree with what? With one another. Right? And what you say, and that there be what? No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, thank you for life. And thank you, Lord, for the freedom to be able to use our life to come to a place of worship. We know we can worship and we should worship everywhere. But Lord, you also decreed it that we would gather as a faith community to worship together, to study your word together. So Lord, we pray that your word would speak to us. We pray that it would bring spiritual life to us. And Lord, as we are talking about unity, that whatever hurts, whatever pain, whatever ideologies, whatever attitudes are creating disunity, that, Lord, that you would bring those walls down. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Have you noticed that our society is a very disunited society? And that behind the disunity that we experience as a nation, as a, as a human race, is individualism. The fact that Everybody cares just about themselves. Everybody watches out for what's good for them. I don't know if you, if you believe me or not, but if you don't, I want to give you a slight homework this week. As you go on and have conversations with people, as you listen to programs, as you watch movies, notice the language that is used. And you're going to realize, and you're going to be able to see that there's a lot of uh, selfish vocabulary. It's all about what I want, what I need, what I expected. It's about me, myself, and I. Rarely do we use we or us or all of us. We live in a time where almost all of our entertainment revolves around disunity. We gossip, we exaggerate the mistakes and the flaws of people because somehow that is what attracts, that's what gets views, that's what gets people's attention. And while disunity may be easier than unity, disunity brings a lot of damage to all of our relationships. Not just as a family, not just as a marriage, not just as a church, but also as a society. Disunity doesn't allow progress to take place. Disunity hurts. Disunity stops success. Disunity robs peace. Disunity destroys and poisons relationships and cultures. But see, the beautiful thing about the gospel, the beautiful thing about Jesus 
is that he saw our human nature, or, or better yet, he saw the nature of sin inside of us, and he provided a solution for those issues. So, I don't know if you've ever thought, like, what is it going to take for our nation to be united once again? Because it seems like no matter who is in power or no matter what direction we tend to go to, it just creates more division. And the answer, the antidote, is obviously Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says in the passage that we read. He said, I appeal to you. And last week we said that that appeal is more of a commandment. That he's saying, this is what is to be expected. And the authority, the, the, the force behind this appeal is Jesus Christ. Right. That because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus means to us, that we ought to pursue unity. Because unity is all the opposite of, of, of what this unity causes. When there's unity, there's joy. When there's unity, there's success. When there's unity, there's happiness, there's peace. And last week we said that unity is something that we all want, right? Nobody says, I want to be upset at my mother-in-law. I want to be upset at my brother-in-law. I, I, I want to walk into work and have to hide from certain people because I don't talk to them or because, you know, there's beef between us. We all want unity. The problem is not in the desire. The problem when it comes to unity is in how do we obtain it? How is unity possible? And that's what we're talking about. But, but the, I, I said last week that the one thing that I would want you to understand about unity <coughs> is that unity is not automatic. Unity is not magical. Unity is a decision. Right. Unity is a choice. It's a decision that we make to say, I am going to be united in my marriage. It's a, it's, a, it's a work that we do to say, we are going to be a family that is united. It is, it, is, it is a fight that we fight to say, we are going to be a church that is united. Right. So the number one thing you need to understand about unity is that unity is a choice. That we decide to be united <coughs> or to allow disunity into our relationships. Now, when you decide and you say, I am going to fight, I am going to work, I am going to pursue unity, well, then you need to know what are the things that produce unity, what are the things that nurture unity, and what are the things that hinder unity. And my desire, my plea, is that we as a church would decide to be united. Not just physically, because Paul says, I want you to be united in what you think and what you say. In other words, I want you to be united in your visions, in your missions, in your goals, and in your beliefs. That, that we would decide and say, you know, it's not just about going and taking up a chair on Sundays, but it is about going and being part of an organic living community. Yeah. And that it would not just be enough to say, I am going to go sit down, but to say, I am going to pursue having a relationship with the bald person that sits in front of me all the time. <laughs> okay, no, nobody laughed at that. But you understand what I'm saying? Saying, I just don't want to know the back of a person's head. I want to know that person. Yeah. And not just know them, but to be able to have a relationship with them. So, so unity begins, number one, as a decision. It's something that we pursue, something that we work for. And it is not cheap. Amen. Unity is not cheap. Anybody know that? Yes. Unity is hard. You got to sacrifice, you got to give up, you got to humble yourself, you got to be patient, you got to pursue, because unity is not cheap, but it is worth it. Because the joy, the blessing, the, the results that it brings are the things that we want in our life. So if you decide to say, I am going to pursue unity, well then you need to know what are those things that nurture, that produce unity. Last week we saw the first ingredient. If you were not here, or even if you were here, let me just quickly remind you, the first ingredient that produces unity is love. We said that love is the foundation to all relationships. And that without love, anything we do is meaningless. 
But today I want to talk to you about the second ingredient. And the second ingredient is an identity. An identity brings unity. Anybody else excited about the baseball season starting back again? Anybody watched any of the uh, uh, any of the games already? I have. I, I, we we don't have internet at home. If you live in Arlita, I don't know if it's a spectrum thing, but we don't have internet. So I got to listen to the game yesterday. But I'm very excited about baseball. The Dodgers are my favorite team. You hear me talk a lot about them. I already bought my opening day tickets. I'm going to be there on that Thursday. And, and let me tell you something that I enjoy about Dodger games. I enjoy the whole experience. My wife and other people tell me, why do you like going so much and dealing with that traffic and doing all that walking and all those stairs? I don't know. I just enjoy it. And you know what I enjoy? Here's what I enjoy. Here's what I enjoy. That there is a sense of unity in our identity as Dodger fans. Amen. If you've ever gone with me, Whenever the Dodgers score, whenever the Dodgers strike one of the opposing players, whenever the Dodgers hit a home run, you know what I do? I start high-fiving people around me. All right, all right, all right. People that I don't know. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they live. I don't know what they believe. I don't know what they vote. But when the Dodgers do something worth celebrating, I don't stay to myself and, all right. No, no. I start high-fiving people. And if there's a couple of opposing players, we even root at them, right? Like, yeah. Now, why does this happen? Why is it that complete strangers can celebrate? Why is it that complete strangers can high five? Why is it that complete strangers can scream together? Well, because we have a unifying identity. We're Dodger fans, the best fans in all of baseball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So an identity provides unity. When we share an identity, when we see ourselves the same way, when we believe the same thing, that we create an identity, and that identity produces unity in us. Now, how can we create unity through an identity? Well, I want to tell you three things about your identity, three things that you need to identify with that when we do, it is going to create unity among us. Are you ready for this? Yes. Number one, to live in unity, the first thing that if you want to live in unity, using your identity, the first thing you need to do is that you need to identify with the Lord. Our identity begins not in our race, not in our social status, not in the color of our skin, but our identity begins with our Savior. What we have in common is that we have one Lord who died for us and redeemed us. And if we're going to have unity through an identity, the first thing we need to do is, is identify with God. Let me tell you something. God created us to have a relationship with us. God created you and me to identify with him. From the very beginning, God's desire was not that you would be this far creation that he just kind of enjoyed here and there. No, we are his supreme creation. In fact, look at what Genesis 1.26 says right there in your outlines. When God was creating you and I, when God was creating humans, look at what he said. He said, let us make man in what? In our image, after our likeness. And he's not talking about physical likeness. God wanted you to identify. He wanted to have a relationship with you. I love, I love the fact that the Bible teaches that before sin entered, Adam enjoyed of a wonderful relationship with God. They would take cool walks in the evening. Can you picture that? I mean, some of you, you go out walking with your, with your spouse or your kids. And, and if you've ever done that, you have some very meaningful conversations when that happens, right? 
Can you imagine going on a walk with God? Imagine how beautiful. And it was something that God initiated. Because even after Adam's sin, who was it that came looking for who? It was God looking for Adam and Eve. So from the very beginning, God has always wanted to have a relationship with us. He, let, let me say it this way. Are you ready for this? He is not ashamed to be your God. Therefore, we shouldn't be ashamed to call him our God and identified with him. Amen. And say, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I know that not all Christians are great, but I don't represent all Christians. I represent Christ. Amen. I mean, think about that. He's not ashamed to be your God. In fact, that's what he says in Exodus 6, 7. Look at the promise that he made. He says, I will make you my own people and I will be what? Your God. He's not ashamed to say, Nestor is my son. He's not ashamed to say, Maria is my daughter and I love them. And church, I think it's time that our identity as individuals begins not in our nationality, not in our color, not in how we dress, but in our salvation and in our Savior. And to say, yes, I am a Christian. You know, I used to, I don't know if I've ever confessed this to you, but I used to not tell people that I was a pastor. Not because I was ashamed, but because I felt that whenever I told them I was a pastor, the relationship completely changed. And if they weren't Christians, then they, 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 they kind of built this wall against religion. And if they were Christians, they try to get free counseling out of me, right? <laughs> So I used to not say, when people would ask, what do you do? I used to say, oh, you know, um, uh, I'm a bodybuilder. I was out of shape, but I would say, I'm a bodybuilder. Oh, really? They, they, they didn't ask. And I didn't lie because I am building the body of Christ, right? I'm a bodybuilder. But, but I, I changed that. You know, when people ask me, even if they don't ask me, I tell them. I go, yeah, I'm a pastor, and I love it. And then, and then they get to ask me why I do it, and it opens an opportunity to say, hey, God is somebody that is not just this idea, but a reality in my life. And listen, we miss out when we fail to identify with God. There's some great examples, um, and I want to mention two of them, of individuals that identified with God and their identifying with God completely changed their destiny forever. The first of them is Ruth. If you're familiar with the story of Ruth, Ruth's husband dies and, and her mother-in-law's husband dies and her sister-in-law husband dies and, 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 and there are three women that are left alone and not only are they widows, but there is a great famine that comes over the town and Ruth's mother-in-law, Noemi, says to Ruth, he says to actually both girls, he says, hey, you guys need to go, go back home, go back to your relatives, I'm not going to be able to give you any more sons and even even if I could, by the time they are old enough for you to marry them, you're going to be too old. She says, go. Well, one of them goes, but not Ruth. Look at what Ruth says to Naomi in Exodus um, 6, 7. He says, I'm sorry, not Exodus, Ruth. He says, your people will be my people and your God will what? Be my God. Ruth says, no, 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 no. This relationship is far more than the fact that I was married to your son. What unites us is our faith in one God. And she says, your God will be my God and your people are going to be my people. And it doesn't stop with Ruth. What about, what about Rahab, the prostitute, right? She identified with God. And how did she do it? By putting a fish on her car? No. <laughs> you know, she identified with God by hiding spies that had come into her land because she knew that God had given her land to the Israelites. And she hid them. 
And by doing so, she identified with God. She believed that, that, that God, that Jehovah was the true God and that he was going to accomplish what he had promised. Now, here's the wonderful thing. Both of these ladies became part of the lineage of Jesus. One was a prostitute and the other was a widow. And yet, if you read the genealogy that is mentioned in Luke, you will find their names in Jesus's genealogy. Women who, who maybe had lost all hope, women who maybe didn't have a bright future, their choosing to identify with God changed not just their lives, but their destiny. Let me tell you something, and please hear me out. There is no difficult situation you ever go through that leaving God out of it will make it better. But yet, that's what we keep doing time after time after time. Why haven't you been to church? Oh, I've just been going through some hard stuff. And leaving God out of it is going to make it better? You know, call me religious. Call me close-minded. But when it gets worse is when I need God the most. You want me to tell you something? Uh, can I confess something to you? You won't think I'm weird? Well, it's okay if you think I'm weird. Sometimes throughout the week, I'll find another church that is having something and I'll go and I'll sit at the altar and I'll sit in their sanctuary and just connect with God. I'm not looking for other churches. I'm not. I'm looking for God. And sometimes it's nice to walk into a church and not be the pastor to just focus on God. So are you identifying with God? Is God part of your categories or is God where your identity stems from? If, you, if we want unity, the first thing we need to do is to identify with God. Second, to live in unity through identity, you need to identify with your family. And I know here it gets tricky, right? And, and, you know, as I was preparing for this message, I, I had a hard time with the second point. Because I know many of you come from very unhealthy families. Many of you, uh, the fact that you've disconnected from your family has allowed you to be a little bit healthier, has allowed you to change your identity, has allowed you to walk with the Lord. And I understand that. But, 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 but here's... Here's to the conclusion that I came down, and if, and if family is a delicate topic for you, if it's a painful topic for you, here's what I would want you to know. I choose to believe that what God ordained, it's what's best. It's kind of like divorce, and I know I'm getting into some very delicate topics. But they asked Jesus about divorce. And Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, that's not the way God meant it. That's not what God ordained. And he said, well, well, then why did Moses allow it? And Jesus said, well, he allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. And sometimes divorce is necessary, but divorce is never God's ideal for us. Do you understand me? Yes. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying sometimes some non-ideal is necessary because there is a worst evil. But that doesn't mean that that is what God desires for us. And the second thing that we need to identify is that we need to identify with our families. Why, Pastor? Why are families such a big deal for God? Well, because united families are strong families. United marriages are strong marriages. And the family throughout human history has been the foundation, a solid foundation for society and communities. When families run amok, society is weak and becomes a mess. So if we want unity, we need to begin at home. The negative conditions, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there, there was a time where, uh, where I live, I have a big wall. And I live on a corner street. I have a big wall. And they constantly kept tagging it. They constantly kept tagging it. I would paint it and they would stop tagging it. So one day I prayed and I said, Lord, deal with these people. And they stopped. Okay. But I, I, I don't know what are your complaints. Oh, our community is so dirty. Oh, kids are, are speeding through the streets. Can I tell you something? At the bottom of it all, it's a family issue. Right. At the bottom of issues in our community, 
If you're saying, well, there's a bunch of girls coming out pregnant. There's a bunch of guys that don't have any manners. At the bottom of it all is a family issue. So I know you've heard, you've heard this before, but whatever change you want to see in your community, begin at home. Begin with your kids. I can't complain that the kids today don't have any manners if my son doesn't have manners. I can't complain that girls today do not value themselves if I don't teach my own daughters to value themselves. So see, if we want unity, we need to build strong families. And strong families are families that share a unity. That share unity. And if you're going to have a strong family, you need a strong marriage. I love what John Wooden said. He said, if you want to love your kids, love your wife. If you want to love your kids, love your wife. Ladies, I want to say this very lovingly and kindly. Whenever you put your kids above your husband, you are weakening your family. You are weakening your family. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me say this why. As a pastor who has had to walk with people who've gone through divorce, I see the pain that not having the father in the picture causes. Because again, sometimes divorce is necessary, but it's still not God's best. And we need strong marriages if we are to have strong families. Hey, how can five of you get together as a family if two of you cannot agree as a couple? You, 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 you're familiar with this passage? I want to read Matthew 19.5. It's right there in your outlines. And I just want you to notice how many times the concept of unity or one is mentioned in just two passages. Are you ready? Look at what it says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be what? That means you got to cut the umbilical cord. You got to cut it. Love your mom. But your priority now is your wife. If on, if on Mother's Day you only take flowers to your mom and not your wife, something is wrong. Something is wrong. You begin with, and, and, and don't give me none of this, but she's not my mom. But she's the mom of your children. Ladies, on Father's Day. Come on, man. Help me out. Who says, whoever, ladies, whoever told you we don't like gifts? Whoever told you we don't like to be celebrated? Whoever told you we needed another pair of socks? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? And the joke says that the battle is deciding which one, right? That we are to become one flesh, so they are no longer what? Two, but one flesh. Hey, married couples, are you really one? Could you say you're one? Can I give you a quick test to see how one you are? You ready? There's no condemnation, just some self-examination. You got joint bank accounts or separate ones? You got, you got a share calendar or do you each have your own? Are the cars registered in both names or do you each own your car? Should I stop? Come on. Oh, I want to be one, but you keep your bank account, I keep mine. You got your car, I got my car. No. There's no you and I, there's us. It's our car, it's our bank account, it's our house, it's our kids. They're not your kids, they're our kids. And the two shall become one, the two shall become but one flesh. And look at this, therefore what God has what? Joined together, let no one separate. Do you see that progression? Do you see that? We identified with God individually that we identified as spouses so that then we can identify as a family. 
That's the order. But it begins with me and God. And when I do that, well, then I can better love my wife. And when I can better love my wife, I better love my children. And when we create unity in that way, when we create unity, identity, then that creates unity. I love what Joseph, what Joshua said to the people of Israel regarding his family and God. And again, you're, you're, you're familiar with this verse. Look at what Joshua 24, 15 says. Joshua says, but as for me and what? My family. We will what? We will serve the Lord. As for me and my family. Now, who said that? Joshua's kids. Dad, we feel like going to church. Okay, let's go to church. Oh, you guys don't want to go to church? All right, we won't go to church today. Who was in charge there? Who was setting? Who was the, at the head of the spear? It was Joshua. And, and listen, does that mean that Joshua didn't have issues with his children? Probably not. He was just as human as we are. And his kids probably also had some issues. But he said it in authority and he also said it in faith. And he said, as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. We're going to identify. He, he told the people of Israel, today you got to choose. Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose Baal? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve some other God? And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. You know, I, 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 I was telling my dad the other day that he should write a book. Amen. I told him he should write a book about parenting. I don't know if he was a good husband. I hope he was. I'll talk to my mom afterwards. <laughs> but I think, they were, I think they were very good parents. And one of the things, and I've shared with you some of the things that they've done, but one of the things that my parents always did is that we grew up knowing that serving was part of who we were. Yes. Not something we did, but who we were. Can I prove that to you? To this day, not only are my siblings in church, but they're serving in church. Because yes. it's just something we did. Did, do we take time off when we got married and had kids? Yes. But just as much as being a florist means that two weeks out of the year we go on vacation, it also means that we serve. And it is an identity that we create. So, so, so let's be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I understand, especially if you got tweens and teens or young adults, they, they often don't want to come to church. But, but think about this. What does this say to their identity when they tell you Sunday morning, hey, dad, mom, I don't feel like going to church. But then they ask you for a ride to the mall later on and you take them. Come on. Right? We create our identity in the Lord, and then we create our identity as a family. You guys are kind of quiet. If you can't say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Amen? Third thing. Third thing. To live in unity through identity, we need to identify with the church. We need to identify with the bride of Christ, with the body of Christ. Last week I mentioned that when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he prayed. And the thing that he prayed for was unity. The thing that he asked for was unity. And we said, out of all the things that Jesus could have asked the Father for you and me, he asked for unity. He didn't ask for health. He didn't ask for success. He didn't ask for open doors. He didn't ask for the supernatural. He asked for unity. And the concept or the idea of unity that Jesus had was that we would have unity in the body. In fact, if you go home and read John 17, if you read that whole prayer, five times, five times Jesus prays that his followers would be one as a church. That they would be one as a faith community, that there would be unity. In fact, I want to read a couple of those verses. We're not going to read them all. We're just going to read three of them. Look at what John 17, 11 says. This is Jesus praying and he says, Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be what? United just as we are. Right? And then look at what verse 20 and 21 says. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be what? One, just as you and I are one. Verses 20 and 21 include you and me. Jesus was praying for you and me. He wasn't just praying for the 12 original disciples. He was praying for you and me. And he was praying that we would be one. He was praying that we would identify it as a faith community. And, and one of the things that has happened throughout the years is that we've devalued the importance of our church. We don't see church as an essential. We don't see our faith community as something that is crucial. We see it as something that is optional. And that is not the message. That is not the desire of Christ. Because his prayer was that they would be one, not just, in, not just one with the Lord, not just one in their marriages, but that they would be one as a church. In fact, the apostles embraces. The apostles got this. That's why the apostle Paul writes the following in Romans 12, 4 and 5 regarding the church. And look at what he says. He says, for just as each of us has one body with what? Many members. And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form what? One body. And each member belongs to what? What does that last sentence say? And each member belongs to what? What does that mean, Pastor? Well, here's what that means. It means that God intended for us not just to come together, but to be one. It's not enough to just be in the same room. God wants more than that. God wants unity. He wants harmony. Remember what harmony is? Harmony is not being all together. Harmony is working together. If I were to take your car apart and just pile it up, could I say that all the pieces are united? Technically. But could you drive that car? When is it that you can drive that car? When each piece... It's where it's supposed to be doing what it's supposed to do. We won't have harmony until each of us is where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to do. Now, you know what I love about that passage? You ready for this? You are God's gift to this community. God brought you here because he loved the people in here and he considered you a gift to them. That's what that last sentence means. You each belong to one another. It speaks not just about the unity, but it speaks about, about this fact that God gave each of us as a gift to each of us. So if you walked in here feeling down and appreciated and insignificant, shake it off. I want to tell you that God loved me enough that he brought you here. I want to tell you that God loved the people around you so much that he brought you here. And when we identify as a church, when we say, hey, Dayspring is not the church that I'm going to. That is my home. That is my place. When we find our identity, then unity is produced. Then something wonderful happens. In fact, look at what Psalms 133 says. Look at the results. When we decide and really pursue being one as a church, look at the things that are going to happen. Look at what Psalms 133, 1 through 3 says. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for what? For brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beer, even Aaron's beer coming down upon the edges of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Sion. For there the Lord 
Lord commanded the blessing life forever. Four things. Four things that when a community finds their identity as a church and lives in unity, four things that happen. Number one, you can fill this out in your outline. The first thing that church unity produces is that it produces what is good and pleasant. It produces what is good and pleasant. Verse one says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Unity produces what is good for you. Church, listen to me people, church is good for you. There are things that God wants to do in your heart, in your spirit, in your life, in your relationships. And he has chosen to use our time together to do those things. There are things that God wants to do in your own private time with him. But there are things that God wants to do, things that God wants to give you when we come together in unity as a, as a body of Christ. Our unity produces what is good, not just what is good, but it's supposed to produce what is pleasant. Can I say something to you? Even if you say, no, I was going to say it. So I just asked for your permission. If you ever come to church and you said, man, church was whack today. Maybe you don't say that word because you're not as cool, but somewhere along those lines, like, man, church was dull today. Church was boring today. Church was dry today. I'm not getting out of church can I tell you what the solution is? You got to get involved. You got to get involved. We're missing your spice. We're missing your heart. We're missing your participation. You know why church becomes boring sometimes? Because it's the same tired people doing it time after time after time after time after time. Even the best rice after you have it 20 times begins to lose its flavor. So if church is not pleasant, it's not because there aren't people giving all they can. It's because there aren't enough people doing what they ought to. And when we in unity come together, not only do we produce good, but we produce what is pleasant. The second thing, the second thing, oh, by the way, um, next Sunday, as we talk about what is good and pleasant, next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. At the beginning of the year, I told you that we're going to seek the Lord. And we've been doing that. This past Friday, we had a worship night with the worship team. We went to our Panorama City building. And we just the worship team, we were there worshiping, just learning to be in the presence of God. The other thing that we're going to do is that I want to invite you every first Sunday of the month, fast with me. From the time you wake up to the end of the service, you could do that. Just water. Just water. I know you're like, oh, but I love my coffee. Well, give up your coffee for the Lord. Just one Sunday a month. Are you going to join me? Yes. Amen. So next Sunday, we're going to be doing that. The second thing that unity produces, and I'm getting ready to finish, is that unity attracts the anointing. Unity allows for God's anointing to flow. Verse 2 says that unity, it's like that precious oil that runs down Aaron's beard. Now, what is the anointing? Well, the anointing is the power of God that restores us, that empowers us, that sanctifies us, that activates us for good works, that enlightens us, that fills us with joy, that sets us free, that heals us from diseases, that sets us, that sets us free from any addiction, that gives direction and guidance. And it says that when there's unity, it is like the anointing of God, like that oil running down on Aaron's beard. And see, whenever we lack unity, we make walls that impede those, those elements of God from activating in our surroundings. But when we come in unity, then the anointing flows. The third thing is that unity attracts prosperity. Now, don't close your eyes. I know the word prosperity can be challenging in, in today's culture. I am not a prosperity preacher, but, but hear me out. Look at what ver the first part of verse 3 says. It says, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of what? Of Sion. Now, here's the thing. That idea of dew, it is, it is the moist. It is what irrig irrigated the mountain so that there was vegetation, so that there was flower, so that there was life. The dew produced life. 
And it says that not just on Mount Hermon, but it said in Zion. Zion is symbolic of the spiritual life. Now hear me out. Here's the idea of the psalmist. The psalmist is telling us that God wants to bless you not just spiritually, but also practically. That God wants to bless, God wants your spiritual gifts to prosper, but he also wants your relationships to prosper. That God wants your prayer life to prosper, but he also wants your financial life to prosper. That he wants your biblical understanding to prosper, but he also wants your career, your, your, your school to prosper. So when we speak of prosperity, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about God's favor in our lives in all the areas, spiritually and practically. Because can you imagine this? In fact, this has sort of been the problem with Christianity at times, that we succeed spiritually, but we fail practically. We're prayer warriors, but our house is a mess. Our, we, we, we talk and we pray and we teach our kids the word of God, but then we don't help them with their homework. God wants you to prosper in all the realms of your life. Yes, he begins with the spirit, but he also moves into those practical areas of your life. So if you're struggling financially, if you're struggling relationally, if you're struggling with keeping a house clean, God cares about those things. And he wants to bring prosperity to all the areas of your life. And then last but not least, unity attracts blessing. In fact, I would change that word for for attracts to commands. And the reason is because of what God says. Look at what he says in the last part. He says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Notice what he says. It doesn't say he sends it. It says he commands it. When God sees unity, God commands blessing to that place. So if we could just get this and say, we're going to identify with God, we're going to identify it as a family, and we're going to identify it as a spiritual family, one of the many benefits is that we're going to have God command his blessing there. I'm done, but I need you to give me your best three minutes that you have left, okay? Just need three minutes. I need everybody looking at me. Everything I've said is to lead up to this point. Easter is around the corner. We don't just want to celebrate Easter. We want Easter to be a blessing. We want it to be something that not just honors God, but that God blesses. And if if we take Psalm 133 then that means that we need to have unity. So over the next few weeks, I am going to ask you and remind you every Sunday to come together as a church in two ways. You ready for this? Number one, that we would commit to inviting people to come that day. Next Sunday, I'm going to give you a little insert that we're going to put in your bulletin. And I'm going to ask you this week to think and pray about people that need to hear the Lord, that you would love for them to receive the Lord. And I'm going to have you put their names. And I am going to commit to pray for the people that you write from next Sunday to Easter every day. Every day I will take that list and I will pray together with you that God would touch their hearts. So we want... Easter to be a blessing in the sense that we want to see people come to the Lord. You know what I'm asking God for? I'm asking that not only will this place be filled, but that we would have to fill our chapel as well. You know what that means? That some of you are going to have to go to the chapel so that new people can be in here. I didn't hear as many amens yet. I know as we get closer, the amens will get more, more willing. So number one, Can we unite? Can we agree? Can we find an identity as a church in saying, we want to reach new people for the Lord this Easter? But you ready for the second one? The second thing that that I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to serve somewhere. We need help. We need you. We need you. And next week, I'm going to tell you four areas where you can get involved. It's going to be hospitality, 
which has to do with welcoming people, guiding people as they come in. It's going to be their first impressions, which means you can help us decorate, you can help us make this place look presentable. We also need, we're going to have a big carnival afterwards. We're going to have an egg hunt for the kids. We're going to have games. We're going to have jumpers. We're going to have food. We're going to need a lot of help with that. Or there's some miscellaneous ministries like the kids ministry. Can I tell you something that breaks my heart? About two weeks ago, we had to close down our nursery. My wife um, right before coming, she was in tears, and she was like, I have nobody to do nursery, and I've called everybody, and I can't find anybody, and I think I'm going to have to be there. And I told her, close it. If you've asked and nobody can, then we just won't have it. Today, we're not having a cafe, because we don't have anybody that can help to do that. So we don't have a cafe today. How can it be that in a room with so many wonderful people as this, we can't fill simple spots? You know what we ask people? To serve one hour a month. That's all it takes. One hour a month. Some of you spend more time in wasteful things a month than serving other people. So we're going to ask you to get out of your comfort and to come united as one so that God can command his blessing upon our time together. Amen? Amen. We're going to identify with the Lord. We're going to identify it as a family, and we're going to identify it as a church. You with me? Would you bow your head? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, if you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.